Welcome to Marketing. Grab some coffee and let's talk about what's working in marketing, who these strategies are designed for, and how to be customer centric while we do it. Hey there, this is Leanne with Marketing. Thanks for joining us today. I've got Teresa Potratz, who is the Director of Growth Marketing at smartphone now and she has an amazing background and I can't wait for everyone to meet her and learn more about her. Teresa, tell us about yourself. Yeah, uh, on the whole, I'm an industry agnostic marketer with over a decade. I've got to do a lot of really fun things from a lot of non sequitur places. I've done a couple of years in higher education. I worked for a couple of years at a small independent board game publisher and then done several years in tech. The big through line for all of that has always been, how can I tell somebody's story and get it in front of the right customer at the right time and really turn the company into their clients' cheerleaders and really help them enjoy and partner alongside? Yeah, you're an amazing storyteller, and I always enjoy all the anecdotes that you share with me. Um, and And I agree, like, you know, a lot of the things that we talk about here on this podcast is being customer centric and and really getting to the heart of the matter. And, you know, you just mentioned that you're agnostic for the different industries. And and that's really the heart of marketing is that it doesn't matter who or what B2B, B2C, any of it. If you don't have a good story and you don't really give an F about your customers, then it's just not going to land. Yeah. Or if it does, it's going to land in the wrong spot. Well, okay. For piggybacking off that, I worked for a coffee company for a while and fresh in, I was like, okay, so who's our customers? Everybody. Mass market, everybody. I was like, okay, so four-year-olds and Mormons. (laughs) And they're like, what? I was like, no, so really, who's our our customer? Because we're not hitting those two groups. So who are we? Yeah. Coffee companies out there, I... Am your customer happy to take samples? Same. Just well, I will do you that charity. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, one of the things that is like a recurring question, and it's not very controversial, but like I always want to look at what problems people encounter as they're going about like doing their marketing strategies because that's where we really learn, right? We don't learn yeah. from the like, oh yeah, I pressed the button and it worked and I made lots of money. Like, no, that's that's a fairy tale, but where reality is, is where you encountered something that made you think or that made you have to overcome something else. And or sometimes it just changed and you learned from it. So kind of taking that into mind, tell us about, you know, a situation or something that you've kind of come across that you want people to think about as they're going about creating their professional life and their marketing Mm -hmm. strategies. Well, I mean, I was thinking about this even just this last week, um, you know, as I'm looking at developing, you know, great plans for 2024 and making sure budgets allocated properly. One of the greatest learnings actually came from my last role, which is a failed startup. And just a little bit of background, it is, it was, it was, I get to use the past tense now, it was a med tech company, I could say femtech, Uh, it would revolutionize how uh, IVF is performed and the outcomes of it. And it was during COVID, during a time where we saw IVF markets take off. And this all seemed like a super good time to get into a company that's going to be very disruptive. So I was super thrilled to help. And 
the company itself was both the technology as well as the clinic side, because you need the clinics to prove the technology. And so we had five very expensive clinics with five brand new, very expensive labs. And my job was to drum up the demand to support that. Small problem, I didn't get to choose where these markets were, and there may not have been adequate research to ensure that there was a total a large enough total available market in each of these regions, but my job was to fill it. And historically, you know, you come into this role and you're told like, okay, you need to improve rates by 40% over last quarter or whatever the, the number is. This was uh, our brand new expensive lab can do these number of procedures. So your goal is to go from zero to a hundred and a quarter. Go. Which Sounds like a pharma sales job. You know, I one of my best friends used to work for one of the large pharmaceutical companies. And and that that hearing about your experience, it, it sounds more like you were in a, a sales role instead of like a marketing role almost because the, there's, you know, timelines and realistic things that you can and can't do. Yeah. Um. So. So with like that kind of very high um, ask, <laughs> I don't know what else to call it, uh, request, yeah. you know, with that, um, you know, hindsight being 2020, we know that that wasn't feasible or just yeah. whatever went wrong went wrong. Um, what what were some of the, the red flags that made your spidey sense kind of tingle early on and that, you know, you should have listened to or... Something that you thought was going to be chill or fine or or not at all an issue that turned out to be a big one. Well, okay, so I would say the company itself all seemed straight, and I don't think that I had any initial early indicators that things were going sideways. Uh, it wasn't until the CMO that I've been reporting to um, left the company about a month into my tenure there that. I kind of went, oh, no, now there's only two marketers on the team. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I will say from, a, you know, if I had more political clout within the company, I would, one of the big things that I, I tried to do at the very end as a Hail Mary was really switching the products that we focused on to drive you know, a greater return on ad spend and really take advantage of the markets that were actually in, that were available. Like maybe I just needed to switch from IVF to, you know, egg donor to, to really capitalize on what was available. That, if I had had the foresight and started that, you know, a good three quarters earlier, that could have maybe delayed it. I mean, there were endemic problems that I couldn't see that I didn't have access to until it was too late. But that was something that I found very interesting, that looking back, I'm like, OK, I think if I had identified that, pushed harder and tried to do that, it could have been different. Yeah. So as you say that, you know, it sounds like one of the only things that that might have been a question that someone else looking at their next opportunity in this like heavy, you know, talent, like there's so much talent available right now. Um, if, if you're on that end where you're looking at your next role and it's in a startup, one of the questions I always tell people to ask is ask how much cash runway there is. Yeah. That will not give you an honest answer. They may not know. Well, Depends and I was, I was told two years. 
Yeah. And spoiler, it was not two years. No. And, and, you know, when you're in the interview process, there's this kind of like fine line of, of what you can ask and what's reasonable and what's, you know, just going to start to alienate both sides. And you, you can't ask, maybe you have a better polite way of doing it. If so, please share with the community. But you can't say, what are your financial projections based on? You can't necessarily act like an investor. Mm. Um, and and that, that can really be be hard. And, and it also kind of brings up this other thing is that we all love blaming somebody. And sometimes it's just how things happen. It's not like, a, oh, well the this person just totally you know screwed things up sometimes it's not even that sometimes it's right. just how the world works and and that's kind of one of those those uh myth busters one of those fairy tale things that sometimes the world just doesn't isn't friendly to startups yeah i mean and honestly there's one question i asked my current cmo that i think is a good question to ask anybody and that is, you know, first question, what are the goals for this next year? And then once they say that, the follow-up question is, what's going to get in your way? Or what is the potential to get in your way to distract the team from hitting that goal? Yeah. And that will help at least identify the red flags. And hopefully if they do like off the skate that you can be like, oh, okay, you dodged that one. Yeah. yeah. And and maybe they just don't know. They don't know what they don't know. and And that's why they hired you to come figure it out. That happens too, um, so you know. I mean, there's there's always some really obvious ones that are the low hanging fruit, but you should start there. You know, is it going to be people? Is it going to be processes? Or is it going to be product? Like, yeah. which one of those three um, is it going to be? Is it going to be all of them? You know, what exactly are we solving for? Um, and that's where maybe our high school math and, you know, geometry teachers and all those people that taught us to go through these like logical steps, you know, maybe we need to say I'm sorry to them <laughs> because you know, we, like at the time we were probably teenagers about it and be like, nah, never going to use this in my real life. But you do. You, you, it helped you learn how to think through things. Hey there, fellow entrepreneurs and B2B marketers. Before we dive back into the conversation, let me introduce you to a game changer in the lead generation arena, lead feeder. Now, we all know the struggle of identifying those elusive website visitors and turning them into valuable leads. But what if I told you there's a tool that not only promises, but delivers on supercharging your lead generation and sales efforts? Enter lead feeder. Imagine having the power to identify companies visiting your website, track their behavior in real time, and seamlessly integrate it all with your CRM. Lead Feeder isn't just a tool. It's your secret weapon for efficient and targeted lead engagement. Ready to revolutionize your approach to leads and deals? Head over to leadfeeder.com for your free demo today. That's L-E-A-D-F-E-E. D-E-R dot com. Don't miss out on the future of successful lead generation with Lead Feeder. So some of the risks with even knowing what your goals are and and kind of the, the position you were in, what were 
what were some of the risks that you thought that you were taking on versus what was the end risk that you know, it actually turned out to be? Well, the initial risk was one that I uncovered. So let's assume that we had the runway. Let's assume that we ended up getting um, that Series B funding that was really what we were reliant on. Um, when I came on board, what I did first thing, which is something a lot of growth marketers do, is they look at the sales funnel and they try to see where the bottlenecks are. And for me, we would have our MQLs, you know, these are qualified leads, and we would lose, I'm not kidding, 90% of them. And it would be like, okay, well, we're hemorrhaging leads here, so let's deal with that. And it was recognizing, you know, what are our leads not getting that would help convince them to move to that next step, to schedule a doctor's appointment, to meet with one of our providers. And it was something simple like, setting up an email nurture campaign that hadn't been done before I got there. I was like, oh my gosh. And then it was like, okay, well, let's fine tune it. Let's add more to the series. Let's, you know, experiment. So I think, you know, just being willing and able to take risks and understanding what success looks like and how are you going to identify if it's not working and when do you decide to cut bait from a solution that doesn't have legs? Yeah, I mean... I think the hemorrhaging at the end is is so is something we've all experienced. And I think that this is where a, a an easy temptation to like just blame sales happens and it's not always sales fault. And more often than not, you know, it it doesn't have to be an us versus them. It it, it needs to be that collaboration. Right. And one of the biggest things that I know I've experienced as a consumer has been that they were being sold something that wasn't what they were actually getting. Mm-hmm. And and whether that's intentional or a mistake or, you know, this one word in the messaging just missed the mark. You know, that's where where we can really take a look at those losses. And I love like the the lost deal interviews for exactly this reason. They're so yep. juicy. Like <laughs> Well, and you bring up a good point, uh, you know, particularly when we talk about alignment. I think one of the alignments that we don't see often is with with marketing and CS, you know, because you, you think of marketing and sales, those go together like oil and water, but we totally forget CS in, in the mix. But in a previous role, I was trying to figure out why our messaging wasn't landing online and, it, you know, for this very specific vertical, right? And previously with our other verticals, we'd use the word monitor. Yeah, do this and monitor, do this and monitor. And the CS was like, what What do you know? No, you can't say that to mortgage and lending supervise. And I went, what? Like, how, how is that different? So we switch out the word, A, B, test it. Suddenly that works and that takes off. But without that networking, without that face-to-face and dialogue, I wouldn't know. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's where you have to kind of routinize these cross-department collaborations because it not not that it couldn't happen organically, but even in an an office setting, like where you guys are all with cubicles with each other, that conversation's not going to happen unless you look for that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I know I say that with like a lot of vocal fry because I'm in LA, but at the same time you have to make room and intention for these things and and to avoid these pitfalls. And I think that that's kind of one of those risks or mistakes that happen 
um, whether we just get so boggled down with, you know, the hamster wheel marketing or we it just isn't on our radar for whatever yeah. reason. Um, or maybe we've been told not to. That's happened. Um, but you still got to relentlessly pursue collecting information and collaborating mm-hmm. across all the departments even the ones that don't necessarily seem obvious. Okay, that's my soapbox. I'll, I'll no, I'd interview I'd you. Be, <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to clap at the end of that. <laughs> um, you can tell that I'm really chatty with my coworkers. <laughs> like, please more. Like, let's talk. Yeah. Because um, you have to. What are some other mistakes or myths or just landmines that you've seen people come across or that you've experienced unintentionally when trying to come in and have some really aggressive growth goals? I think, and this is actually one I shared with a mentee of mine. And, you know, I found him like getting set up to make the exact same mistakes that I've made over and over again. And one is you come up with this brilliant plan and you wait until the meeting with all of the stakeholders and you present it to them. And they shoot it down. They completely see all the holes. They can't believe that you didn't see them. They lose respect for you. And you're just like, but what? The one thing I I found that seems to be very effective is meet with each of the stakeholders one-on-one prior to what are the holes in this, you know, and ask the question, how can I make this better? Don't assume that it's good. Don't say, hey, what do you think of this? Because they're going to assume that you want to hear, it's fine, it's good how can I make this better? And then you get buy-in from them. You answer any concerns that they have. And then you do that for each person. And then when you go to the, the, the giant meeting and you say the exact same thing you've just said six times, everyone goes, oh my gosh, that's great. And if there's disagreement, if somebody says, well, what about this? Now you've built a cadre of people who are willing to say, oh no, actually she's thinking about this point or this is what we're trying to combat with this point or this this campaign will cover that. And I it took me way too incredibly long to learn that. Um, so anybody take that, use it, go forth, prosper, learn from my mistakes. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's such a huge thing because when you go straight to the executive committee or the board or whoever you're presenting to and you don't do that, it's almost as if you're presenting a rough draft. And they are stereotypically uh, uh, don't waste my mother effing time mm-hmm. group. You've got to keep it brief, concise, and clear. Yeah. And if you're not answering those objections ahead of time because you've you know filtered it through all the filters, then you, you kind of are like just giving them a rough draft. Um, and and they know it and they they will not tolerate it. They might. You know what? They might. That that's very close-minded of me. There are some very kind leaders out there. And may we all have them. That's my wish for everyone is that we have these very kind, patient leaders um, that nurture us. And but they can still be both. They can be pressed for time and want a final draft in your presentation um, and still be a kind, nurturing leader. Um, now that I've stuck my foot in my mouth, just you know. You're gonna have it. Um, so aggressive growth goals. The people that think that they're the right fit think that they're the right fit. When is it not the right fit? I mean, 
like let's go for some like subtle under underdog kind of reasons like why i mean like okay so having gone through a series of interviews one of the things that i recognized is i am not a fortune 500 girly that's not me like for me to be able to say that i have experience leading 40 percent year over year growth that is startup numbers you don't go to nabisco and say i'm going to grow this company 40 percent year over year you can't there's not the market share um, and I think if if I had sent my resume to a Fortune 500, it, they I wouldn't have gotten the interview. That's not the chops, and that's fine because that's not what I want. I don't want to be pigeonholed into doing one small thing over and over again. I want to use a bunch of nebulous ideas and form them together and create this very cool campaign. Um, and I think that's that's the fun thing. So if you have somebody like me, who's very creative, and you say, hey, we are a very buttoned up brand. We don't believe in having a tweet that goes out. This is, you know, I say tweet. I dated, I dated myself just now uh, without 16 hours of review processes. That's not me. I'm not going to thrive there. And so I think you need to find a lot of alignment between the human and the culture of the company. And if you've got alignment there and they have skills, and I think the rest of it is just kind of massaging it in and really learning the product and how the company operates. I think those are the big fits. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that there is definitely, you mentioned market share, and, and I've seen big kind of more conglomerate companies take on a new avenue, and that's where they would hire someone that has that startup vibe. Um, you know, and, and I've definitely seen the opposite where I've seen somebody from like an F100 try to do F100 things in a startup vibe, even if it's yeah. not a startup anymore. There's plenty of mature companies that are in this phase of maturity where they need some new fresh, you know, they need a reboot. Mm -hmm. And and it's if, if you're used to all the resources and all the departments and all of the the support that an F one hundred has, and you're you're suddenly in this startup mobile, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's 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 going to be painful for you, um, or you're gonna have the time of your life because you finally got to do the things that you never got to do, um, but it's it's going to be whiplash, <laughs> mm -hmm. um. But that, like, that's, you know, if, if that's you, do it. Like, don't wait for permission. Like, right. You know, right. Um, I think that that's, that's kind of the the startup vibe that I, I love, even from, you know, a little bit of an arm's length is just the go for itness. Um, I mean, the concept of building the plane as you land it is a very frightening and exciting prospect. Like, that is, that is the good side and the bad side in one. Yeah. And I mean, so, you know, the question of like, you're building the plane as you're flying it. So what, what's the worst thing that happens? Well, you crash. Yeah. <laughs> and then everybody, and then everybody's out of a job. Congratulations. You have failed. Uh, yeah, you failed. But, you know, per all of our, you know, cliches and, and heartwarming, uh, you know, memes that we see, did you fail or was this a learning experience? <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Like, um, I mean, I would prefer task failed successfully, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that this also kind of one of the biggest goals, not biggest goals, um, biggest trends I see for 2024 is with this massive tech layoff scenario that we've seen happen in 2023 and this huge amount of just top-notch talent. Um, what I've seen time and time again, especially in this end of, you know, this Q4 2023, is these people not trying to find a new job and just doing their own thing. Yeah. And so I think we're going to see a lot more of that in 2024. But at some point, whether it's, you know, a year from now or 16, 18, 24 months, there's going to be a rebound where, you know, people are just like, I want to like you need you need people in seats, full time employees to make the results that you want to get. Yeah. And you can only Frankenstein it for so long. You know, and that's and honestly, you, you bring up a lot of really good points there. I think a lot of the big tech layoffs, you know, it, they're there. They happen for a variety of reasons. Maybe the company overhired, you know, or maybe they just didn't manage them correctly. But the people that got worked into the ground, like they're burnt. You know, like they're the ones in their bathrobes laying in the snow on TikTok, you know, screaming about how they've driven themselves into the ground and they're going to just, you know, have a bare moment where they live in a cave and eat artisanal cheeses and then they'll be out when they're done, you know? (laughs) And it's like, I respect that. I relate to that. And I'm, I've been there. So. And, and I just, I have to say this so that it's said. You do not need to burn out to get results. You will get more results by not doing it. And and one of my big like things that I like feel deeply is do more with less. Do less. Do less. You don't need to do everything in order to do good marketing. Yeah. You don't need to be everywhere. You don't need quantity. You need hyper-focused, like, well-executed, good stuff. And and that's that's what you need. Yeah. The, the times I've performed my best is when I have scheduled time locked out of my calendar where I am staring at a wall thinking about what am I not thinking about? How can I make something better? And having that downtime. And if I'm like, I have nothing in my brain, reading a book or listening to a podcast on marketing or watching a webinar. But when I don't have that time, when I'm too busy head down sprinting for longer than a sprint should be, I'm putting in 50, 60 hours of work and I'm not getting the results. Yeah. You you don't need more hours to make more money. And that's something that that I know for like it's a fact this is based on evidence so this isn't just Leanne's opinion even though I get to be very opinionated this is based on research peer-reviewed research um so you know I think that the as leaders as mentors as mentees as as human beings we need to learn to advocate for that balance and and that's where 
that's part of why I think that there will be a rebound into full-time employeeship because when you work for yourself and you are a very driven person, you might be more likely to drive yourself into the ground. Yeah. That's what I did. I was a horrible boss to myself. I was the worst. And, you know, and and it took some maturity to realize, like, I would never talk to another human being about their work mm-hmm. the way that I was talking or shooting myself about my own. Yeah. And, you know, once you kind of find where is going to be the best work environment for you, maybe maybe you're better than I am. Maybe you have less. Oh, I'm not. Like, I closed my <laughs> consultancy because I just, nope. No. And and even with this podcast, I've I've had to see where I was doing too much and and kind of reversing a little. And and that's great. We we need to learn and evolve. But, you know, as a full time employee, there's more of this like group where you can uh share task levels and you can reduce burnout and you can build each other up and collaborate. And and I think that all of that is hugely impactful and and makes makes things great and warm and fuzzy. You know, like we could I'm, I'm not gonna wax too politically. Uh, well, I mean, but I do want to piggyback off that because one of the things I've learned about my own brain, um, I'm neurodivergent. So for me, this is probably a bit more to the nth degree than the average human, but I need to be learning something novel and making new connections. Like you want me to be a better marketer, I need to be learning another language. I need to be learning a new craft. And if I'm not, I'm going to give you the same basic dribble I gave you last week. Yeah. And and I think that where all workplaces can benefit from inclusivity is that to some degree, that's how all brains work. It's just a, a God, it's, I hate this word because it's such like a trigger word, but it's a spectrum. You're good. Well, I, yeah, it, it is. It, 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 and, and that's not just like, you know, neurodivergent, neurotypical. It It's just human like physiology. Mm-hmm. Right. Because on a day where someone who is, you know, would classify themselves in one bucket versus a different bucket, depending on how they ate, sleep, drink, stress, blah, 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 blah. Their, their brain, their physiology is going to demonstrate and manifest in a certain way. Um, but that is not this episode. <laughs> um, but it is something to think about when we're talking about burnout and when we're talking about how we show up in our work and ha- when we talk about what does it take to get the marketing done is, is that you have to know how you operate. Mm-hmm. And that is the first gift that we can give ourselves as marketers is knowing when to say yes to coffee and when to say no. Mm. Anytime after three. And that's a bummer. <laughs> It's such a bummer. Um, so, you know, I've started my my part about where I think the future of marketing is going. Where, what do you see on the horizon about like where it's going versus where do you think it needs to go? You know, I see it going down the same trajectory that I saw it going a decade ago. Uh, when you look at B two B brands, they're starting to operate in a more personalized fashion towards their independent leads. And they're starting to treat them more like hyper-personalized B2C brands. Like as a marketer, you have to market to me very specifically. I need a lot of love. And if I don't get it, I'm, I'm out. 
if you're going to cold market e or cold email me and I didn't opt in and you don't immediately come out the gate with something catchy specific to me and mention my specific pain point that day, that time of year for my industry, I'm out. And the companies that are really nailing it, they have the people who can write a cold email that'll stop me dead in my tracks. They know exactly what I'm up against. But if I have the the hint, like just the the briefest guess that this was copy pasted from another email and you changed it from Brian to Therese, I'm out. And I'm seeing more companies actually treat that. Like there is an incredible person on LinkedIn that very few people know about as far as I'm concerned. I mean, she's got a decent following, but it could be tenfold. And I don't think anybody would, would be upset. Allison Goatee, she comes up with email marketing content that is both incredibly funny and very specifically helpful. Um, and she made the point several months ago where she said, no marketer will tell you that they send spam, but every single one of us gets spam emails. And that's something that I wrestle with regularly. Like as I'm looking at this email that I'm getting ready to send to, you know, a lead list, why do they care? Why should they care? Because if I don't care about it, why should they? Yeah. I mean, mic drop. Like if you, why should they? And and I think that that's, that's one of those questions that even we need to like really be real with ourselves when we're writing our copy and our messaging is is we really got to be like uh yeah marketing liam thinks this is great but does customer liam think this is great yeah maybe maybe not and and then trying to protect that copy through the multiple levels of approvals you know you say that and i think of every single press release that starts with blank company is proud to and I want to smack the copywriter with a newspaper. Just be like, no, nobody is proud to announce something. They are proud they did something. They're not proud to announce it. <laughs> Maybe they are proud to announce it. I doubt it. When do, you, when do you imagine Bill Knight or whoever the current CEO of Nike is proud to announce a new shoe? They're proud of the collaboration they did and the work. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I can imagine now this like I, I now have a mental model of a scene where he is like, you know, just on his phone. Yeah. OK, have PR do it. OK, cool. And then like hangs up and says that he's like proud to announce it. <laughs> <laughs> just good enough. Whatever. Proud. Yeah. I am. Yes. Yes. Make sure it proud. I want, to, I want that in there. Um, Sorry to pick on, you know. <laughs> specific uh nike ceo that's it's all no it's fine you know parody um so so the future of marketing you see as kind of coming back to this like b2c kind of place and and i agree with that i think that the the level of expectation on the consumer side as individuals is now that we've been conditioned our tolerance for crap has decreased because there's just so much noise yep um and so, you know, where beyond that, like, do you think that's the right move for things? Do you think that that's realistic or sustainable or kind of how do we how do we do that? 
I think it's not necessarily sustainable, you know, when you word it like that, because if, if you look at the model of like, well, I'm one of, you know, five stakeholders in my company that would need to be involved in this purchase decision, you're going to need to really ABM a startup or an SMB. And that's a lot of work, you know, to get just to segment the audience correctly is a lot of work, let, let alone to come up with a unique hook for each individual person, because that's going to be different. So, I mean, and perhaps it is, I'm going to talk myself out of what I just said, perhaps it is more sustainable as we look at, you know, really not leaning heavily, but using tools like AI to augment that. And I think right now that the industry is talking a lot about, you know, using AI to write the, the mediocre copy. But I think more and more marketers are actually going to start leveraging it to saying, hey, chat GPT, how do I, what, why does, how, how would you grade this email series? You know, how, what, what is missing from it in great email marketing and really using it as just help you with machine learning, you know, as opposed to doing the writing for you, but like have it kind of grade you. Yeah. And, you know, thinking of one of my favorite softwares that does not at all sponsor me, but if they would like to, I'm totally down. Um, you know, when I think about Mutiny and like what they're doing mm -hmm. and the something that stuck in my mind when when I talked to their CRO, Julio Bermudez, is is that you have to have that statistical significance um, in order for certain aspects to be as effective as they could be. And when I think of startups, I think of a big struggle in having quantity and reps that equal statistical significance for for the first while. Eventually, yeah. they get there. They or they they fail. Uh, eventually, something goes one way or the other. Um, but that that also comes with like data literacy. You know, understanding when this is not enough of a sample size for your A and B test. You know, A and B testing isn't meant to be like person A versus person B. It's it's got to be bigger than that. Um, and that costs money. It costs money to get that sample size. Um, and this is where, you know, we could follow this down the rabbit hole into discussions about private equity availability and fundraising and bootstrap, you know, and the whole the whole gamut. But, um, you know, I, I definitely see AI as a way to make things better mm -hmm. and to help us match you know this person maybe we we have to like uh gum and toothpick it and you know make it you know like self-selection on our websites where like they tell us which part of the population they fit in and then we route it to one set of things based on their you know hand raising um and and that's one way to do it without a huge tech stack or, you know, sample sizes. But, you know, to to some extent, you know, just finding ways to be clever and in thinking to ourselves, if I could automate this, how would I do that? And mm -hmm. can I do this in a way that doesn't require automation? Because <laughs> even yeah. even even zaps cost money, you know. You know, and I had one leader that said something really incredible. He he was not a salesman, but he was in the SLT. And he said, look, I can outsell any member of the sales org. And he goes, the problem is I can't outsell all of them. Exactly. And it's, it's recognizing that level of limitation and recognizing 
you know, where the good enough point is and then what you can do to ramp the other people higher enough, you know, as to where they can eventually surpass you. Fingers yeah. crossed. Fingers crossed. And that's why I like people instead of chat GPT is because people stick with their learnings when you teach them a content guide, style guide, you know, inspiration. You don't have to re-prompt them every time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, maybe you do. But eventually, you know, once again, it goes one way or the other. <laughs> like they either learn or they move on. Right. Uh, you know. Um. So I've got a big question for you. This is one of my favorite questions to ask people because it always just uncovers so much. What is a question someone should ask you, but they don't? And the the kind of context of this is, you know, let's say someone comes to you for advice and they ask you X, Y, Z and you're like, no, 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 you you miss the point. Like you really need to be over here at ABC, not asking these questions at all. The other thing is what is, you know, other way people take this question is what is something about Teresa that no one knows about that they should just be asking you? Oh, no. I mean, I'm an open book. I, I overshare. I'm the TMI queen. You know, like that's that's a loaded gun. Um, <laughs> I think ultimately the question that people don't ask is, you know, one I alluded to earlier, which is how can I make this better of, of recognizing? First off, we can come up with all the main character energy that we want. Um, but the truth is everybody is the star of their own show. And we just need to assume that we don't have it right. And if we if we have it like incredible, like it's going to miss the mark with a couple of people, a couple of marks or audiences. And so it's like, okay, how can I make this better? You know, and then taking what they say and either going, gosh, they're a pile of crap, no nothing. And then ask somebody else the same question and see if that, you know, is a common refrain or like, oh, you actually do have to go back and improve step one. But I think just, you know, being willing and humble to say, how can I make this better? And coming from the stance of this is not incredible as is. So let's improve it. Love it. Absolutely. And to the defense of the people that we like to earmark as maybe, you know, not catching what we're saying, maybe we were talking over them and we really need to do more explaining. You know? Uh, maybe we're the Ursula in the story. And hey. that's that's a very uncomfortable thing for anybody to really be open-minded to is, is maybe it's you. Maybe we all need to be Taylor Swift. Maybe it's me. It's I'm me. The problem. Hi, I'm the problem. Um, I almost had my, my heirs cup to feature. On this. <laughs> um, much like one of my favorite other podcasts, um, you know, I don't, they have enough traffic. I don't need to, to drop them. But, um, you know, there was a lot of things that we kind of, we tossed around talking about. Do you feel like there was something that, that we didn't hit on that I want to kind of like circle back to or leave space for? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that I've, I've learned, you know, when I think about, you know, the, the failed startup that, I will be taking into, you know, future roles is always making sure to have a test budget because it's easy to like when you talk about statistical significance of like, okay, look, we have this big bucket of money that we use to get the leads that we need. Obviously, we want to increase. And so we're going to need to launch a couple of tests. Um, 
what are those tests? What is the money set aside for? It's like, well, we already know the tests are going to take up 10% of the total budget. And with that, here's the test we want to run. Here's what success looks like. And if we don't have this number of results by this date, we're going to drop it. And it's just like by having that all in play, I think that's great. And I mean, I've had I've had another marketing leader recently ask, you know, when's the last time you failed? And I'm like, what day of the week is it? You know, like I have tests going all the time. Like that's that's not necessarily a fair question. And I don't look at it like, oh, my God, I failed. I'm like, oh, why? Like, why did it succeed? Why did it fail? Be curious. Ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that can be really, really impactful. One of the things that I remember distinctly when I stumbled upon it early in my marketing career, especially with ads, was understanding how much volume, like finding where that line of your test is reached a significant enough volume to give you real answers to get through that learning phase and when it needs more learning phase to be anything and and finding out how much that cost is associated with it. Yeah. Um, that was one of those moments where I was like, oh, damn, I I need to know this. Like, I'm going to write this down in my notes. Um, because especially with the automations and stuff and, and the algorithms and all of this um, tech that we interface with just to do our jobs, there are those amounts. So, you know, if someone's earlier in their career and they heard you say 10% of the budget, thank you for being specific, you know? I, I mean, that- and that's that number is so different yeah it it depends on what the appetite for risk for the company is um how much growth do you actually have to drive and if you're like no we we need to make payroll so we we know spending all of the money on this very specific straight trajectory great but if it's like you know what we've got room let's go play yeah that's always the fun part. Yeah, we've got room. Let's do it. It's like, yeah. Um, so guys clearly get very excited about that. Um, as I, if you were only listening, I knocked my microphone around just a little bit and got a little, little animated. Um, great. Well, you know, I think that there's just so much that we have as marketers to improve on. And that, like you said, what day of the week did I fail last? is is like I don't see it as a failure like it's just second nature to have these trip get up trip get up you know keep going kind of yeah existences if you're a scientist you you say okay this is my hypothesis if you're wrong about your hypothesis does that mean you failed or does that mean you have like that's the learning opportunity you know like being a part of a failed company like that it hurts but going oh that subject line didn't win okay next like I don't I'm not gonna go cry in the shower (laughs) nor should you and and I think that that's where people that take things very literally like myself like I struggle when someone says how did you fail and I'm like what do you mean like I mean I make mistakes but I certainly don't fail um so so you know I will keep that nudged in my little brain you know, to to be more inclusive of what the word failure could mean, um, because that's that's part of it is that, you know, we're all here because we want to be better at what we do. And in defining different things as either in this kind of nebulous, yeah, that was a failure, but it was also 
part of the process um, is is important to keep in mind. Totally. I I'm I'm on fire today. I think you know it's it's a good day, but I know that you have so much that you do and offer, and I'm you know part of your storytelling that I've been so impressed with is in your just kind of for funsies activities. So mm-hmm. tell tell us about your success with your podcast and what it's about, and maybe your favorites like. Uh, synopsis of one of the episodes maybe like or or just silly thing that happened so i have a crazy history podcast it's it's called unhinged history and after i launched it there's another person who came out with their podcast which is unhinged history with so if you see unhinged history and that's it go for that one um but it's me and my co-host who is just a friend of mine. And we started sending each other several history-related memes and then giggling at them and then joking about how we should just start a podcast where we compulsively learn the things we found in a meme and then info dump on the other one and record it. And that's what it turned into. And so that's what Unhinged History is. And so one episode is like okay so about this time that this one comes out there's an episode about a man named Colin Gubbins and Colin Gubbins is the most incredible man that you've never heard of he was the director of the SOE for World War you know which was the basically what started MI6 and founded the CIA and the whole nine Um, but Colin Gubbins just an incredible incredible man who you know looks very debonair and is the reason that the British got the Enigma machine because he went to Poland to chat with the Polish resistance and ends up getting his hands on this German tech and making sure it gets to London. And he starts the guerrilla warfare unit that with just the amount of explosives from one small plane took out 19 Nazi facilities. Like he did more with a small group of people than armies plural, were able to accomplish. And it's it's just incredible like to go in and be like, okay, wait a minute. Is he inspiration for, for James Bond? Well, it's, well, he employed James Bond's brother, so maybe. You know, you're like, wait, what? What? Yeah, how come we don't learn more about him? I yeah. think it, I, I'm down. I want to listen to this already. I'm, I'm into it. I love this. Um, and a lot of other people do. And it turns out that you've had, you know, a fair amount of downloads because it's it's cool it's fun um and i think we all like hearing stories about um other unhinged people um you know and i say other grouping us all because we can all be a little unhinged at times but mostly we're professionals and we are completely hinged totally while clocked in while clocked totally absolutely grown-ups in the room which is you know that's that's the part about being a deep person is that you have different dimensions and you know when and where to use them and sometimes the storytelling from a podcast like unhinged history helps you be a better storyteller about whatever product or service that you're you're using because you can add it to like a mental model you know imagine that your cybersecurity is guerrilla warfare and that you're blocking these attacks from these like solo actors instead of some big wide bandwidth and there's just there's right. 
there's right. ways to connect the dots. Well, and there's there's one episode about a guy named Stuart Drummond who was a like mascot for the Manchester Football Club. Maybe not Manchester. Made that part up. Uh, liver. No, I'm going to Hartlepool. That's what, that's a what it was. football club. The, the, I figured it out. It's the Hartlepool. It took me a while to pull up the file. But he ends up running for mayor as the mascot and wins and then ends up becoming the best, like the only mayor the town had. And he had his job for 11 years before they canceled the mayorship. But it's still just like he had no experience, but he rose to the job and commanded a group of 3000 people in City Hall. Like what? So, I mean, there are stories like that that exist that are really fun that you could pull into your everyday life. Love it. <clears throat> so. You know, and I think that that kind of, I'm going to bring it all together. You know, we talk about fairy tales and business and we talk about what the reality is and, and how some ventures just don't, you know, it's not always an exit that's successful that ends up in millions of dollars. We can't all be Jeff Bezos. We can't all be, you know, um, Bill Gates. We wish to be. And, and we should take that and we should hear these stories and find motivation and inspiration and reflection in them. But you know, while being pragmatic and realistic and learning from stuff. Um, so with that, I'm going to kind of wrap things up. If someone wants to find you or contact you, what is the best way to do it? I'm very active on LinkedIn. Even if I'm not posting, I'm always there. Um, so drop me a line, say hi. And beyond that, I spend a decent amount of time on TikTok goofing off. <laughs> so Awesome. Yeah, you know, chronically online really helps us as marketers. Totally mm -hmm. does. Absolutely. Um, gives us ideas and inspiration and keeps our finger on the pulse. Um, if someone's looking for you on LinkedIn, they would spell your name. Oh, T-H-E-R-E-S-A for Teresa. And Potratz is P-O-T-R-A-T-Z. So there's a pot rat Z is zebra. Perfect. And I am Leanne Dalweimer. If you want to ask me any questions or uh, find out more about me or this podcast, it's info at markigy, M-A-R-K-I-G-Y dot com. And I also am chronically online, clearly on LinkedIn. And um, I only lurk on TikTok and Reddit. So you will not be able to identify me there. All right. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.